I started uh, Gag Me With A Spoon because I really love to, I love to hear people's personal stories. I think we're more fascinating than fiction. And I really like the community building aspect of, in a small town like Duluth, Minnesota, where you think you know everybody, you don't know everybody. And you get to know people on a little deeper level and share vulnerability and grow as a community in the day and age of Facebook. Um, I think it's a connecting thing to share our stories and something we've been doing throughout history. So I'm trying to kind of bring that into my life and hopefully share that with others. Your hair looks really good. It's so curly. I'm going to invite Mary Morgan up here. <laughs> Hi. This story begins in a treatment room at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where I was having a follow-up visit for cancer of the throat. I had had surgery to remove a, a cancerous tumor from my neck, followed by six weeks of radiation treatment. And so typically at these follow-ups, the doctor puts a tiny little camera in my nose and down my throat and she snaps pictures of everything to get a good look to see if there might be anything wrong. And then she slowly draws the camera up out of my nose. Now in the treatment room, there's a screen before me. I can see what she sees. My husband's there. Opposite him is another screen. He can see what she sees. And on this occasion, as she brought the camera up my throat and out, there on the back of my tongue rested a wolf spider. <laughs> you all know what a wolf spider is, right? They're the big furry ones. Usually you see them in the corner of your bathroom at about 3 a.m. Uh, on occasion, they might try and pin you down and take your lunch money. <laughs> so naturally, I was horrified by this sight. I quickly looked at my husband. He's trying not to flinch like this. <laughs> the camera's drawn out of my nose, and I, I say, what was that? What was that? And the doctor says, well, you've got a bad case of black, hairy tongue. <laughs> black, hairy tongue, I say, is that like a medical thing? Is that a thing? And she says, well, you know, you've lost some salivary function. And until that returns, you're going to have a little more bacteria in your mouth. And that's what causes black, hairy tongue. <laughs> oh. And she said, until your salivary function returns, you might have it, black hairy tongue. And I said, well, well what can I do? How can we get rid of it? Can I, can I gargle it away? Can I, can I try Listerine or Clorox or plutonium? 
And she said, oh no, you have to. And then she flips out an extra long Q-tip swab. She says, you have to manually remove that on the back of your tongue to get rid of it. Oh, said I, thank you. <laughs> As my husband and I were leaving treatment, the treatment room that day, he turned to me and he said, never show me that again. <laughs> so I came home to northern Wisconsin and I searched long and far for some extra long Q-tip swabs. I went to Walgreens and Walmart and Target and CVS and I couldn't find them. As it happened, I was back at the Mayo Clinic the next week and I found a box of extra long Q-tip swabs in their pharmacy. 100 of them packaged in two for $2.99. <laughs> it happened, it was Halloween that day and I was in Rochester by myself. So I thought, I'm gonna take care of this right now. I went up to my hotel room. I broke open that two pack. I took out a swab, I opened my mouth, I stuck it in. I gagged, I broke it, and it lodged in my throat. See why I'm here tonight at Gag Me With A Spoon? Okay, so my first thought is, well, okay, I'm here alone, I have a stick stuck in my throat, maybe I can stick my finger down my throat and hork it up. And, but then I remembered a story about a man from my community who accidentally swallowed a toothpick while he was eating a bacon-wrapped filet mignon. He had no idea he'd swallowed a toothpick. All the way down, it poked his esophagus, and it created a tremendous infection for him that left him in the hospital for two weeks. And all the while, they couldn't figure out what was wrong because toothpicks don't show up on x-rays. They're wooden. All right, so I'm thinking, okay, I, I have to get to an emergency room. Oh, you're, in, you're at Mayo Clinic. <laughs> so I go down to the hotel clerk, and I say, look, I need to get to an emergency room. And uh, I'm thinking there's a hospital right around the corner. And, and she said, yes, there is. And I said, does it have an ER? And she said, no, it doesn't. But St. Mary's does, and that's about a mile away. So I'm thinking, oh, do I want to drive my car? Is it gonna, is it gonna, is it gonna poke me? Am I gonna, oh my God, I'm in such a state. So I go to the doorman, who I happen to know, and I say, David, I need to get to the emergency room. Can you help me? And he said, are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not all right. I said, can you call me a cab? He said, I can, but it'll be here in an hour and 45 minutes. Now this is about six o'clock, a little after six, and I say, what about the shuttle? The shuttle that takes people all around the Mayo campus, including St. Mary's. And he said, yeah, it just left. But I can call it back. And so he did. Shuttle comes back, full of people. I get on the shuttle, I say it to the driver, I need to go to the ER. He says, are you okay? I say, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> Everyone in the shuttle thinks I look okay. And he delivered me there before he dropped any of his other customers off. So I had the presence of mind to take the, the two pack of the stick, the one that was broken and in my throat, and the other one to be able to compare it. 
and I go into the ER and I, I say to the nurse, hey, I swallowed this stick. <laughs> and she tilts her head and she looks me in the eye and she says, why? <laughs> and I say, well, I was trying to be an A-plus student. I was trying to get rid of my black hairy tongue with an extra long Q-tip swab. Mm. So they whisk me in and they say, you can breathe? Yes. You can talk? Yes. You can swallow? Yes. Get on out there in the waiting room. I said, you're not going to admit me? It's Halloween. We're backed up. We got a werewolf with chest pain. We got a zombie with a compound fracture. You go back in that waiting room, stick in the throat, girl. <laughs> so I go back, and, and it's Halloween in, in an ER. And by the way, if you can ever avoid that, do it. So I'm, I'm in the waiting room, and it, hours go by, and they bring me in, and they take an x-ray of my stomach. And I'm saying, well, this doesn't make sense. And they send me back out to wait. They bring me in again, and they take an x-ray of my throat. This doesn't make sense to me. And they send me out to wait. And then they bring me back in, and they take a uh, CT scan of my stomach with contrast. And I'm, I'm complaining. I'm saying, why are you taking all these scans? It's wooden. You're not going to see it. And they say, every now and again, we do see something. Oh, OK. And then they admit me. And in comes an ENT. And she, guess what she's got? A camera on a really long tube that she sticks in my nose and takes a look at my throat. And she says, I don't, I don't see it. I said, but I feel it right here. And she said, it often happens with foreign objects that people swallow that they continue to feel them even after they've gone down. Now she says, I can see a little bit of blood, but you swallowed it. And then she proceeds to say, I am so sorry. I say, why are you sorry? Because that brings a whole nother decision tree for your doctors. What, I say? She said, well, they're going to want to figure out how long it is, how wide it is, and if you can pass it. If I can pass it, yeah, you know, pass it. And I say, does that mean I'll be looking for it over the next few days? And she says, yeah, you might be looking for it. And she leaves. Now, the results of the CT scan with contrast are about to return. But I have to tell you that everyone stopped in my room that night. Doctors, you swallowed what? <laughs> Nurses, you swallowed what? <laughs> Even the janitor popped in. You swallowed what? And there was all manner of snark going on in the ER. And then further, there were people who were crying and screaming and throwing themselves down. It was Halloween. There were police. I pulled my curtain tight to my cube. So the results come back from the CT scan. They can see it. They have found it. And they have decided they're going in after it. Emergency surgery, 1 AM. And they're going to use a, a, a robot that they call Da Vinci. So Da Vinci removed the extra long Q-tip swab from my tummy, 
and they managed to pull it on up without harming my esophagus in any way. Most extra long Q-tip swabs cost about three cents. <laughs> Mine cost $13,800. Thank you. I'm going to invite my friend Miriam Hansen up, who has also been a veteran storyteller here on Gag Me. Come on up. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Is this good? Good sound? Good sound? Okay, great. Uh, it's really an honor to be here. Yeah, I've done. I've been on this stage and I've been fortunate enough to have told lots of different stories, and generally they revolve around some kind of adventure. And this one is no different. Uh, I lived in the Caribbean for a long time, and that's where I became an avid diver. In a long time, I'm talking about 12 years. And the thing about diving that's really amazing: two great things. There's travel and community involved. So you really f learn to meet a great community of people who live all around the world that you can go and visit and dive with and amazing, see amazing things. So here I was about to, it was about 2005 and my boyfriend and I decided we were gonna go on a dive adventure and visit friends, diving in community. So we decided to go to Thailand and at that time in 2005, I think I had just joined Facebook and most people were really not that at ease with the internet that much, you know, no such thing as Airbnb or anything like that. So most of us traveled with the Lonely Planet. Are we Lonely Planet? No, we, I, <laughs> good. Um, so, you know, we had this little bookstore called the Mono Loco, or the Crazy Monkey, and you would go to Mono Loco if you're going to travel somewhere, and you'd look on this huge wall where they had all the lonely planets of everywhere, where people would come to the island from where they'd been, they'd submit the lonely planet of the place they'd just been, and then they'd pick, pick a new one for where they were headed off to. So that's where you would go to know where to go, what to do. There were well-worn notes in them and everything, and this was what provided you with the aspect of community and traveling for low-budget and backpacker travelers. Well, my boyfriend didn't want to travel that way. This was 2005, after all, and we were 30 now. We were gonna be there for my 30th birthday. So he decided we were gonna do things differently, and we were gonna use the internet, and this was how we were gonna travel. Okay. So we went to Thailand, and um, my friend Kira Coleman, Irish lass, was living in Koh Phi Phi in Thailand. Koh is um, island, so it was Phi Phi Island. So we went to see Kira, and we were diving there. It was amazing. They filmed the beach right off of there, the movie The Beach, so we saw the beach. Um, from the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, which I've never seen, by the way. But um, And... I started feeling really sick one night, just like, whoa. And then I woke up in the morning, and I, I might as well not have woken up. I was so wretchedly ill, it felt like I was being run over by a big steamroller. Every single part of my body completely ached. I was totally fatigued. Everything hurt. I had a super bad fever and fever dreams, and everything was horrible. It turned out it was dengue. It was dengue fever. Now, this is a virus, um, uh, mosquito-carried virus. So this is what you have, and once you have it, you just have to live through it or die. 
So there I was on Kopipi, this tiny little island that didn't even really have a clinic. And you can take a little paracetamol and that's about it because you don't want to have any blood thinners because if you thin your blood, then it ramps up into the next level, which is called hemorrhagic dengue, which I got. Hemorrhagic dengue, your eyes bleed, your nose bleeds, your gums bleed, your anus bleeds, and you're bleeding all this, out of all these orifices. So not only is it super painful, but it's also really scary and freaky. And you look in the you know, mirror and you just see like red. So we were in a hotel because we weren't doing, thankfully, we weren't doing hostels or any of the backpacker stuff and watching BBC World News like this. And eventually, lo and behold, spoiler alert, I lived. <laughs> and we were able to make our way um, on. Now this was supposed to be a dive trip, but now at this point, we made it to Bangkok so that I could kind of get checked out to the, at the missionary hospital. We walked in and Dr. Bob said, oh, you have hemorrhagic dengue. <laughs> and he said, if you had come in three days ago, I would have given you a blood transfusion. But I was like, whew, thankfully I didn't do that. Um, although the Red Cross blood bank in Thailand is one of the best in the world, by the way. I wanted to say that. Um, so he said, basically, all you need to do is just completely rest and not exert yourself in any way. Well, we were three weeks into a six-week dive holiday adventure. Well, this wasn't great news. We already didn't have great news. So there we were, decided to kind of shift what our adventure was, and we went to Cambodia. And we were in Siem Reap, Cambodia, to see the Anchor Ruins. And um, mostly, I would make it like one or two hours in these incredible, amazing ruins, and then I was ruined. And I had to go back to some this strange, like, colonial-era hotel with brocaded curtains and everything and just lie there, watch BBC news like this whilst Rob continued on adventuring. And then it was about to be my birthday, so we're gonna do something really, really special on my birthday. We've been very isolated this whole entire trip because we weren't mixing with the backpacker crowd, you know. But we decided it was gonna be special. It was my 30th birthday. We're gonna have dinner on the deck of this, again, colonial era paddle boat thing. And um, that was gonna be kind of a, this unique thing. We were gonna do something touristy. And then the night before that, we decided to do something even more strange and touristy. We were gonna order pizza. Well, Rob and I were the kind of people that we just ate street food wherever we went, and we'd been in Cambodia, so you have crickets and spiders and uh, cockroaches. You know, this is what people eat, that's street food. So pizza was like a big novelty. And we thought, okay, um, well, oh, here, next to the phone, next to the bed, there's a phone, and, and it says there's happy pizza. So we decided, well, this is easy. We'll just order from Happy Pizza. So we call and we eat anything, as I just mentioned. And we decided, we'll just get the special, because it's just easier to say we're going to get the special than you know, not worry about anything. So I order the special pizza, and there's this like hysterical laughing on the line, like, Spe special pizza? Yeah, yep, the special. OK, special pizza. Special pizza! And I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, they're making fun of me. I got the special pizza. So the pizza comes, we start eating it, it tastes funny. 
But you know, it's Cambodia. For us, everything tastes funny. We're used to things tasting funny. And besides, I, for me, everything was funny and weird. I was still in kind of fever dream world. But like an hour later, I was like really, really in fever dream world. And I was like, I thought it was getting better. I don't know if I'm actually getting better at Rob. And I look over at Rob, whose eyes were like. <laughs> and I said, oh no. What did we eat? And we're kind of looking at each other, and we have no idea. I'll just skip the rest of that night. <laughs> and the next day is my birthday, so we wake up, and we're like, whoo. Okay, we're, are you okay? I'm okay. Everything's okay. We're gonna go on this planning for this day of this now my dinner on this paddleboard paddle boat and We get picked up in a van So this is already like way outside of what we've been doing and in the van. It's full of backpackers and I was like hi everybody it's my birthday and they're like yeah right on really cool and we're all all excited I was like you guys you'll never believe this the craziest thing happened last night we ordered pizza and I'm like thinking that's just crazy enough and I see them looking at each other and they're like happy pizza and I was like yeah you know about it they're like did you get the special pizza <laughs> And I was like, yes! And I, they're like, ah, special pizza, special pizza. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, how do you know? And they're like, everybody knows that. It's in the Lonely Planet. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, sitting in there looking around. And, and there's Rob over in the side of the van sitting like this. <sighs> and I thought, hmm. I think this relationship isn't long for the living. I like the community aspect of travel and diving, and I'm gonna stick with that. Thank you.
So um, my mom is living with uh, a disease called frontotemporal degeneration. And we have been kind of like living this very interesting journey of figuring out what's happening and how do we move through it with love and how do we deal with any of the challenges that come up. And one of the coolest things that's happened is that we have fallen madly back in love with each other as mother and daughter and um, we just wanted to have our friend Jocelyn interview us because it's hard for us to tell our story and stay really present with each other. Okay, um, Adeline approached me a few days ago and I've known what's going on in terms of this relationship between the two of them but I think um, what they're hoping for this evening is really a public witnessing of the kind of ways that they are transforming generational trauma um, thanks to thanks to uh, the brain disease that Kathy is living with. It has served as a catalyst in their relationship and the ways that they are navigating together. Um, so I think it would be really helpful just to start. Kathy, could you just tell us a little bit what's going on in your brain? What does it feel like to be you these days inside of your head? It's not as bad as it might seem. Um, there are times when I can't, I can't recall people's names. I've never been good at it, but now it's ridiculous. What's your name again? <laughs> anyway. Um, and she's got a new stand-up career that she's started. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I, I had some episodes when I was working, and they never figured out where it came from or why it started. And now I have pieces of my brain, frontotemporal, that are black. I've seen the pictures, little little black dots. So that's really all I know medically about how to explain it. But I do okay until all of a sudden I don't know something, and then I feel I get I get a little verklempt. Is that a word? So. But I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right, and I have a lot of support, a lot of love and support. And, and Kathy, are you, has your living situation changed? Has it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it has. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> yeah, do you want me to share about that? Yeah, sure, or whatever. So one of the things that happens when you're facing changes with your brain um, is that your care needs increase. And um, we faced a couple of very difficult years where my mom didn't recognize that she was having symptoms. And of course, I did, and other people that loved her, and her doctors knew. Tell them how bad I was. She was terrible. <laughs> Just kidding, no, she was not. No, it's actually a symptom of FTD, is to not be able to recognize that you have this disease process going on. So it certainly wasn't your fault at all. But you now live in, uh, you don't live alone anymore. But you did for many, many years live alone. And you're still very capable of taking care of yourself in this moment. Yeah. Uh, We spend quite a bit of time together now. Early on, um, it was harder for us to spend time together because my mom was experiencing some behavioral changes. And um, I was so confused and hurt, and I didn't understand what was happening. But um, now we get to spend, come up here with me. We spend good quality time together now. We've finally found a niche. At least three or four times a week, and we do things that delight us. So what are we up here for? What are we doing? Just this. We're just sharing. Oh, I thought thought it was going to be something different. 
No. Okay. Is, well, Kathy, is there it's something? All about me. Yeah, Kathy, is there? Is... <laughs> finally, finally. <laughs> I mean, let's let's just let's take the moment, Kathy. Okay. You're on a stage with an audience. Is there something you would like to share that you've always wanted to share and you never had the chance? No. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this then. You have recently <laughs> written and published a book. Yes. And a lot of folks in here don't know about it. Could you just tell us about your book a little bit? Oh, my. Um, my book is about, what is my book about? Um, you wrote a book about your biological mother's experience as an orphan. Oh, that's right. Uh, it was my, really my mother's story about her life as a child and her mother losing it because she had too many kids and not enough help and alcoholic family and brutalization and you know she had it rough my grandmother did my biological grandmother eight kids and no help um of course it affected my mother and it affected me and i so i, I the way that i healed from that was to write a book and it's not fabulous but it's an okay book How's it's that? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. And, and Adeline actually related to that. I have been wanted to ask you when you first read your mom's book. Uh huh. Were, was there something? Was there something you can remember right now in it where you thought, I actually never knew that before? Oh, all kinds of like. So, of what it. did yeah. you learn from your mother writing a book that you hadn't learned from just living with your mother? I mean, I think what I've connected the dots now with what she's experiencing with this disease process, her mother died at 67 from a dementia-related illness as well. Her biological grandmother um, lived the last 50 years of her life institutionalized because she was schizophrenic. And I think what I got from my mom's story was permission to recognize the tremendous amount of generational trauma that has been impacting our lives. Um, and then kind of permission, I think, because you shared that story publicly to start healing uh, together and try to figure out how to make sure that we're not um, you know, letting that line of pain keep going forward. Or working against each other. Yeah, or not working against each other. Mm -hmm. So, and Adeline, even further, what have been, then, as you've realized these things about your mother, you've gone from, I think, some years of being confused and feeling like, what, uh, and then you got to the point of understanding what was happening. Yeah. What have been the effects since then for you in terms of how you are, how you rewired this relationship? Like, Well, I think I have a much greater understanding of how disability impacts everyone in our communities, because my mom experiences this through a shame lens because in her childhood you know like there was a there was uh, mental health issues were stigmatized and her biological grandmother was institutionalized so watching my grandmother um, die from a dementia related disease process and then witnessing what's happening here um, I don't it's really hard to talk about <laughs> um, can you help me yeah. remember where I should be going with this? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what there were, once you realized what your mother was living with, the effects it had upon you in terms of how, how did you rewire your relationship together? How did you, like, did you deli make deliberate changes in terms of the way you were reacting to her and the mm -hmm. way you were 
Yeah. Yep. I think of it as a very as a partnership because we had to do it together. Um, we, because of our trauma history and our shared trauma history, um, we did not have an easy young years together. Uh, it was about 50% struggle and 50% beauty. Um, when I recognized what was happening as a disease process and not as my mom, um, like being mean to me or lashing out at me, and she recognized that I was her team and that we were together in this struggle, I think we, um, I don't know, I think we found each other again. And I think I found myself, I'm able to take better care of myself and ask for help in a way I wasn't before. Do you have anything you want to add to that? I don't think so. I'm just learning as I go. Yeah. Figuring it out as I go with a lot of help now. One of the greatest gifts of this is that my mom and I have been able to talk very openly about how painful this experience has been um, and also how grateful we are to have this time together um, because the changes are happening more rapidly now. And as we discussed these questions, Adeline, one thing that came up was the idea of could there be a point when it's enough? Looking at end of life, looking at compassionate choices. Yeah. So what kinds of things have you talked about there? Do you want to share your wishes? I just want to go away quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not yet. but. I don't want it to be drug out. Some of the laws that we have on our books don't allow for this, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. um, there's no reason to keep someone in agony. Mm -hmm. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> One of the things that we've faced together in the last year is that um, you really did, you were so scared for a while that you wanted to die and you did attempt to take your life twice in the last I year. I twice. I'm grateful for that. Um, but also it helped me to shift gears from like how I think about people's death with dignity. And um, as somebody who tends to show up in advocacy, you better bet I'm working with people in the legislature to work on the laws in Minnesota um, on behalf of my mom and everybody else who's facing a terminal illness that doesn't, that isn't obvious uh, and isn't necessarily imminent within six months. So um, that is pretty much all I wanted to share. I wanted to be here with my mom. I wanted us to be recorded together. Uh, we came up with this idea on Mother's Day because we were gonna tell a story together in November but I'm not so sure that we will be able to do that. So sure we've, we've ramped it up. We're here today. Yep. Thank you for hearing us, for being here with us. Thank you for being my mom.